So the title of our series is really the Dragon's Resume. And, and it is really exposing what the kingdom of darkness is doing in this world. One of the songs we just sang talks about the world being blind uh, and not being able to see the truth, know the truth, deceive. That's the Bible, the word the Bible uses. And who is blinding the world right now? It's the dragon. It's the dragon. And, uh, and it's good for us to get to know his ways because it's, it's also, it's a way for us to know how to, you know, deal with him, react to whatever things that's going to happen in, in our lives in relation to his attacks and his deception. And, and this is basically a summary, you know, Revelation 12 and 13 is basically a summary of Satan's career. You know, God has put this in Revelation for a purpose. Because, uh, you, you know, some of you might be thinking, how come this church is talking about Satan? God talks about Satan in Revelation. He spends two chapters talking about him. And so we need, uh, for me, I cannot really get away from it, right? Because that's what the Bible reveals. And I'm just going to share to you what I learned from these passages. And, and that passage from Revelation, we studied Revelation 12 last couple of weeks before Easter. And now we're on 13. We learned of the history of Satan from the beginning of his career when the initial fall and the, the third of the angels followed him and towards the end of, Revela on, on, of his career, which is what we're going to talk about starting today, is the arrival of the Antichrist, really the climax of his career. Uh, you know, his own, if God has his only begotten son, Satan also has his own son. And that is the Antichrist. That is Satan's son. And last week we noticed this. Uh, we noticed this last week that I, I didn't really point this out last week, but as we, as we were doing the sermon, we, we noticed that Revelation chapter 12 reveals, you know, different kinds of, the different names of Satan. And, you know, just like in any resume, you know, you have your work experience, your career, right? You know how many, I work here, I work this, and from, from 1994 to 1995, <laughs> I work on this company. So uh, something like that in Satan's resume as well. But, but what we find out also in our resumes, just like in his resume, we also say, oh, these are my skill sets. You know, these are the things that I know how to do. I know how to type. Okay? I don't know. It's a good skill right now, but I know how to use the computer. know how to use Microsoft Word. <laughs> yeah, I know Microsoft Word. <laughs> and PowerPoint. Now, these are the skill set of Satan. Number one, the Bible tells us in verse 12, chapter 12, verse 9. You can, you can open your Bibles, but this is what we talked about last week. I just wanted to, you know, package this together. <laughs> the first is he's called the ancient serpent. You know, the serpent is known as being crafty and deceit, deceitful. So that's his skill set. He is crafty and deceitful, like, the, like that ancient serpent. The Bible tells us also that he is the deceiver of the whole world. Uh, that's on chapter 12, verse 9. Uh, is the accuser of the brethren, the accuser of Christians. Uh, that's in chapter 12, verse 11, Revelation 12, uh, sorry, verse 10. And he is also called the devil. I think that's what many of us know. I, I know some of you, when you think of the word Satan and devil, this is, these are not his names. I know you're so used to call, use, using this as his names, but these are actually descriptions of his character. Like Satan, it's the word for enemy. Enemy. And the devil is simply a word for diabolos. It simply means, means someone who is a slanderer, a false accuser, 
That's really the meaning of that word. These are just description of who he is. Of course, if you want to know his name, of course, it's Lucifer. That's his name, right? But all the things that we know about the devil, it's just a description of his character, his nature. Uh, he's called a dragon also, of course. That's how he's described in Revelation. In fact, in Revelation uh, 12.3, he is described as the red dragon with seven heads, of course, uh, horns, crowns. Um, let me show it to you. I, uh, okay, where's that drawing, Josh? Can you just show that to the drawing uh, of the dragon? Doesn't show it. It's not there. <laughs> okay, sorry. I'm sorry. It's not there. I had a good, nice picture. <laughs> now, now, based on the book of Daniel, based on the book of Daniel, whenever, no, not, not this one, not this one. That's later. Oh, not that one. <laughs> later. Okay, so it's not there. They had another one. Okay. So, based on the book of Daniel, you know, we, if you've read Daniel, Daniel chapter 7, Daniel had a vision of, of different kinds of beasts, and we did discuss about this. You know, th those beasts in, in the book of Daniel, it's a prophetic book, talk, talks about future empires, future kingdoms. Those beasts, beasts represent both a person and a kingdom. A person and a kingdom, a person and an empire. And you know, the dragon itself also represents not just Satan as a person, but it represents his own kingdom, his own empire. And, and, and this empire of, 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 of Satan, and even Satan himself, represents an empire or a person who is bent on destruction, bent on, on making war. Bent on making war. That's why his red color is red. Because, you know, red signifies war. Based on the four horsemen of the apocalypse, right? The red horse there means war. And in fact, Jesus said in John 10.10, 10, this is what he said about Satan. The thief, Satan, comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. That is a description of someone who wants to go to war. You want to steal, you want to kill, and you want to destroy. You know, back then in the old days when they do war, they not... They not only kill people, they plunder, right? They take everything that belongs to the enemy. Of course, Jesus, this is what he said about himself. He said, I came that they may have life and have it to the abundantly, have it to the full. So Jesus came to give life, while Satan, what he does is, is to take life. Hmm. And we, we learned from Revelation 12 that Satan wanted to kill Jesus at birth, right? In Revelation chapter 12, when the woman was, was Israel and this woman gave birth to a baby and the baby was, the nation of Israel gave birth to a baby and that baby is Jesus, the, the Messiah. And, and Satan wanted to kill that baby. And we know that the person who tried to kill the baby in, Genesis, in, 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 the, in the Christmas story was King Herod, right? Well, we know King Herod was not a Jew. He was an, appoint, he was an appointed representative of the Roman Empire. He was, he was basically a representative of the Romans. And, and so, so therefore, the, the dragon not only represents Satan, but it also represents the Roman Empire, which is, as I said last time, it was not only, the church is the body of Jesus Christ, the kingdom, or, or, or the people that belong to Jesus. In this case, to some degree, we can say that the Roman Empire was also the body of Satan. During that time in history, it was the, 
It was he, the body of Satan or the embodiment of Satan in the world, his empire, his kingdom. So, so let's change our thinking. You know, Satan is not just some bald, scary-looking, red creature with horns with a pitchfork. I know that's, that's what people think about Satan in the, in the you know, pictures, movies, cartoons. And he's out there randomly tempting people. You know, this is part of his deception. So that people would not take him seriously. But let me say this. He is, the Bible tells us that he is a cherubim. And we already studied what the cherubim is. These are the worship leaders of heaven. The most attractive angelic beings God ever created. And they're the, they're the, they're the beings, they're the angels that are that right there at the throne of God. If this was God, they were right there at the very throne of God. And all four cherubims, uh, uh, as we describe in Revelation. And Satan was one of those beings right at the very throne of God. Very attractive, good singing voice probably, and, and was a leader of worship. Then he rebelled against God. So therefore, Satan is not some random, you know, red fig thing, bald, horny kind of thing. He is he's an angel, but he is also a political leader. And some people don't think about Satan this way. He is a political leader of a spiritual army that is in control of this world today. That's in control of this world today. He controls governments, and let me tell you, every government in this world is under Satan's control. Every government. The political party you support, he controls that. Whatever side you're in. He controls media, education, corporations. Pretty much everything in this world. Except only one thing. What is that? The church. Church. And he controls religions, by the way. Every religion. Except one thing. The church. That's the only thing that's under God's control in this world, the church. Why? Because it's only the church. We just sang it in the song. It's only the church that confesses Christ as Lord. Right? It's only the church that confesses Jesus as Lord. Name any institution in this world that confesses Jesus as Lord. Can you name any? Schools? Nope. Only the church. And, the Lord, and God says, whoever believes in my son also believes in me. Right? That's what God said. That is why when Paul gave us these words in Ephesians, it makes sense now that we are battling against a political leader. He says there, finally be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power, uh, in the strength of his might. I memorized a different version of this. <laughs> Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. So you Christians, believers in Jesus Christ, this is not talking to any random person. This is for you. He said, you need to stand against the schemes of the devil. Why? By putting on the armor of God, not a topic for today, but read Ephesians 6 if you want to know what the armor of God is. 12, it says, this, says here, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. The real enemy in this world is, are not human beings. They're just pawns. They're just puppets being used by Satan and his demonic army. The real enemy is not flesh and blood. He says here, but against rulers, 
against authorities, against cosmic powers of this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Paul is not talking about humans here. This is not talking about, you know, nukes and, and guns and those are nothing compared to this army. Can a nuclear bomb destroy the spiritual forces of, of, of evil? Never. That's why, that's why all the armies of the world, all the things, the technology we have right now, is pretty much helpless against this army because they are not physical. This is not a physical army that we are battling against. And unfortunately, and sadly, and, and not just unfortunately, this is the destiny, what's going on in the world today. I'm sorry to use that word, unfortunately, but this is what's happening in the world. The world is under this power right now. Whatever is being discussed here in Ephesians, the world is under this control of this. And the only, only group of people, the only, I would say, use institution, but I don't like to use, that's not the word you'll use for the church. The only body that's not under the control of this is the church. Is the church. We are under the control of Christ. You know, today, he rules nations. But um, one day, that will be taken away from him. Jesus will take over, take away all those things from him, and Christ will claim what belongs to him one day. Now, some, some of you might be asking, Al, I, I don't understand. Well, how can you say that um, Satan rules over nations? Easy. Look, just look at Matthew 4, 8 to 10. Remember the temptation when Jesus was tempted in the wilderness? You know, the devil took him to a very high mountain, showed him all the kingdoms of the world and all their glory, meaning what, Jesus, what Satan did to Jesus. He took Jesus, put him high mountain, maybe gave him a vision of all the countries in the world, all the nations in the world. And what did Satan tell Jesus here? He said, all this I will give you if you fall down and worship me. Now, if Satan was lying here, Jesus would have corrected him. Right? Would have say, hey, Jesus, hey, Satan, you're lying. You're not telling the truth. But Jesus did not correct him. And Satan was offering Jesus all the nations of the, of the world. He says, all this I will give you and if you fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, but this is what Jesus responded. Be gone, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God. And him only shall you serve. So, in fact, it was a real, real temptation for Jesus. Some people say Jesus was just play acting. Like, you know, oh, Jesus could have overcome that temptation. That should be easy for Jesus. No, it wasn't easy for Jesus. Because that promise of Satan is God's promise for him. That God is going to give him the nations as an inheritance. But he has to go through the cross for that to happen. He has to suffer for before he can get the you know have the nations as his own. And what Satan is offering Jesus here, Jesus, I'm just going to give you all the nations bypassing the cross. You don't have to be crucified, Jesus. This was a real temptation for Jesus. Some of you, you might be thinking, oh, no, it was a serious temptation because he could have avoid, avoided the cross, but he went through the cross. To win you back to God. To bring you back to God. To, that you'll be an inheritance for Jesus Christ. Now, now, Christians, I know you understand now better the meaning of 
uh, of the Great Commission through this, because uh, you, you know, you, you look at the nations that are under the control of the enemy. And Jesus, through the Great Commission, we are told that, therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Our mission is to reach to the nations. You see the connection there? That our job is to, to bring people from all these nations, bring them back to God through Jesus Christ. That's why I want to take this moment to announce this, because this is the theme of our camp. Um, and I want you to save this date. Uh, we're going to have our church camp, finally, River Life Church Camp. And I hope you'll be able to come. If you're still not confident because of COVID, then, then you, might, you might stay at home for the camp if you like that. <laughs> but we'll be there. There'll be a nice pool. There's a river close to that place. There's nice trees and a lot of uh, things to do and cabins. And it's going to be fun. Uh, and uh, the, we, I, you know, because of this, I wanted us to talk about this. Uh, the, our theme is really taking back the nations for Christ. And our prayer is to, as a church, and I know in the, even in this church, maybe five or six nations is all, already represented in this church. And I praise God for that. But, but I pray that we will be able to reach to more people of different nations, of different ethnicities as a church. And that's the goal of our camp so that, you know, be, I, I will not be teaching anymore. I praise God that I will not be doing the teaching anymore because it was very stressful. I don't know, you know, that after each camp, I would be sick for two weeks <laughs> after every camp. So, so now, uh, there will be a group of pastors, teachers who will be coming from SBTC, from our convention. And their mission also around the state is to teach people how to reach the nations, uh, reaching out to different people of different backgrounds, religion, ethnicities. And they'll be coming, they'll be coming in. I don't know how many they are, but, but there will be a couple of people who's going to come in and teach for us. So teach to us so and so for us as a church we're gonna focus on the fun stuff right we're gonna prepare for the games for the for the patentero maybe <laughs> or or the tug of war I know Renal likes the tug, tug of war <laughs> no. um, so uh, so that's what we're gonna do and I, I pray that you will free your time uh, for that uh, you know save that date and and I hope to see you during the camp. So let's pray. Let, let, let's pray right here in the middle of the sermon. Lord, um, we thank you, Lord God, for this day that you have made. May we glorify you, Lord, even in the preaching of your word. Just like the song we sang, Lord, that's an amazing prayer, Lord. That you'll be glorified, you'll be praised through the preaching of your word. That, Lord, we will grow in our understanding of you, understanding of your word, O oh God. Lord, because I truly believe that whenever your word is spoken, lives are being transformed, lives are being changed, that we will not be the same, Lord, when we leave that door, O oh God, after this service, O oh God. Because your word is powerful, O oh God, sharper than a double-edged sword, O oh God. It really pierces the deepest recesses of our soul, O oh God. And Lord, and I can, I'm not doing this. I confess that I am not doing this, Lord. It is you, Lord. It is your Holy Spirit, Lord, working in me, through me, and working in the hearts of everyone today, Lord. So, Lord, I pray that you speak to every soul today, Lord God. Reveal your word to them. Reveal how much you love them, Lord. Reveal your purpose to them, Lord. Reveal your will for them, Lord God. If there's sin in their life, oh God, bring about conviction, oh God, and repentance. 
And Lord, if their heart is cold towards you, Lord, soften their heart. Turn their heart of, of stone into heart of flesh, O oh God. Lord, if that heart is crooked, make it straight. If the heart is a mountain, Lord God, flatten it, Lord. If it's a valley, Lord, let it be filled, O oh God. If the heart is rough, O oh God, make it smooth, O oh God. That they will see your salvation, Lord. That they will see and confess Christ as Lord. And Lord, for every believer here, Lord, I pray that we'll grow deeper in our faith with you. That we will have this burden for the nations, O oh God. Because the nations, Lord, are already here in Austin. Nations are here in Austin. And I pray, Lord, that our church will be right in the center of this work, oh God. I pray, Lord, that you encourage every soul today, every heart today, to be preachers of your word, to be ministers of the gospel, Lord. Because each of us, Lord, as you said in your word, we are ministers of the gospel. Lord, I also pray for those who are still in fear today because of this pandemic, or some are even sick, O oh God. Lord, but those who are in fear, O oh God, grant them courage that they will not anymore live under the cloud of fear, O oh God, but in the, under a heart that has faith in you and trust in you, Lord. Lord, I, I pray also for those who are struggling today in many ways, you know, whatever their problem is, struggle is, any burden in their hearts today, Lord God, you know that, Lord. Oh, speak to that need as well, Lord God. I pray that they will find your wisdom, know your wisdom, Lord God, in the situation they are in, oh God. And Lord, I also thank you that you kept us protected as a church, even from this pandemic. Lord, I also ask your protection from the evil one, oh God, as Jesus has commanded us in, in, in what we call the disciples' prayer, that, that you deliver us from evil, oh God. Lord, deliver us from evil. Deliver us from any work of the enemy, Lord God. That anything that is doing against our, each of us, Lord God, against, against our families, against this church, oh God. Deliver us, Lord, in the name of Jesus. Now, Lord, as we serve you, as we do your will, O oh God, he cannot hinder us, he cannot harm us. And if we are being hindered or prevented, but Lord, by him, Lord, grant us the strength to stand and overcome and overpower him, Lord God, for you are greater in us than he that is in the world. That's what you said, Lord. You are far more greater in us than he that is in the world. Thank you, Lord. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Now, may I request everyone to stand as we read our passage for today out of respect for the Word of God. This is in Revelation 13, 1 to 10. Let's read this together, and I encourage you to read out loud. Okay? Uh, let me just start with a verse. Revelation 13, verse 1 to 10. Read together. And I saw a beast rising out of the sea with ten horns and seven heads, with ten diadems on its horns, on its horns and blasphemous names on its, on its heads. And the beast that I saw was like a leopard, its feet was like a bear's, its mouth was like a lion's mouth, and to it the dragon gave its power, his throne, and great authority. One of its heads seemed to have a mortal wound, but its mortal wound was healed, and the whole earth marveled as they followed the beast. And they worshipped the dragon, for he had given his authority to the beast. And they worshiped the beast, saying, Who is like the beast? Who can fight against it? 
And the beast was given a mouth, uttering haughty and blasphemous words, and it was allowed to exercise authority for 42 months. It opened its mouth to utter blasphemous against God, blaspheming his name, his dwelling, that is, those who dwell in heaven. Also, it was allowed to make war to the saints and to conquer them. Authority was given it over every tribe, people, language, and nation. And all who dwell on earth will worship everyone whose name was not been written before the foundation of the world in the book of life of the Lamb who was slain. If anyone has an ear, let him hear. Amen. Let's, let's, may the Lord bless the reading of his word. You may sit down. Yeah, I thought it was... That's okay. To verse 9. One thing you notice, you know, there in, in those passages, it has there allowed. You know, one thing we need to remember, Satan cannot do anything unless God allows him. And he was the Antichrist and the beast, and Satan can only do what God allows him. So let, let's, let's go back and let's see. Let's, let's go back to the Old Testament for, for, a, for a moment. Because for us to be able to understand this passage, and for those of you who are here for the first time, or you haven't heard a sermon on Revelation before, Revelation uses symbolic language. And these are not real, it's not talking really about a leopard or a lion or things like that. It, it's representing something. It, these are symbolic uh, imagery that has a meaning. And, and the only way for us to understand Revelation is by reading the entire Bible. Because you, know, you cannot understand Revelation by just reading a book somewhere or, you know, the answers are in the Bible itself. So it's, if, when you begin to understand Genesis to Revelation, all the other books of the Bible, you begin to see connections. You begin to see patterns and say, oh, okay, this looks like something I read in the Old Testament. So these two be beasts, there are actually two beasts here in Revelation 13. And Revelation 13, by the way, is, I would say, I don't know with you, but for me, it was one of the very first chapters in Revelation I read because of the description of the beast. It's very interesting. And, and so, and so uh, for many people, I think this is one of the most popular chapters of Revelation, most well-read probably because they are out of curiosity. But there are actually two beasts in there. And these two beasts in Revelation, we just read the first one, are actually two political leaders. They are political leaders that will rise up during the tribulation, the last seven years of our history, right before the coming of Jesus. So, so these political leaders will be around during the time before the second coming of Christ. Both of them will rule over the nations. We just read that earlier, that all tribes, tongues, nations will be under his control. So this beast represents not only a person, a human being, it's a human being, by the way, a human person, a leader, political leader. He also rep this beast also represents an, an empire, an empire. And, and the first of the two beasts in Revelation 13 is known as the Antichrist. Okay, so we read about him, we studied about him already in the past uh, uh, months when we went through uh, the previous chapter. The second beast is known, there's really no good name for him, it's just called the prophet or, or the false prophet. Um, 
it's not a cool name, but yeah, he's known as the false prophet. So those are the two beasts. They, they represent, they, these are people, actually, human beings who will be political leaders in the end times during the, the tribulation. Now, for us to be able to understand this better, I, I would like us to go back to Daniel, because this will show you, this will show you what, what are these, what, what do these this beasts represent, whether in the, in the Old Testament in Daniel or in Revelation. So let's, let, let me read this to you in Daniel chapter 7, 4 to 7. This is a vision of Daniel. If, okay. The first, also this is what Daniel saw in a vision in context. The context of this. So let's go to verse 4. The first was like a lion and had eagle's wings. Then as I look, its wings were plucked off and it was lifted up from the ground and made to stand on two feet like a man, and the mind of a man was given, given to it. This is not hard to understand. If you know Daniel, you know what the meaning of this statement, right? This is, this is Babylon, and that was Nebuchadnezzar. Remember, Nebuchadnezzar was insane for a while, and God restored his sanity. That is the last statement there. A mind was given to it, the mind of a man. So it was Nebuchadnezzar, the king, restored back to sanity. So this is Babylon. The second one, and behold, another beast, a second one, like a bear. So the first one was what? Lion with wings. The second one is bear. It was raised up on one side. Okay, It had three ribs on its mouth between its teeth. And it was told, arise, devour much flesh. So this is a nation that destroys other nations. They, they're, they're, not, they're, they're merciless just destroys other nations. Uh, well, I'll show you what, it, what, this, what this empire is. After this, I look and another, and behold, another like a leopard with four wings of a bird on its back and a beast. Uh, the beast had four heads. So four heads, four wings, it was given to it. So think of this beast, leopard, one beast, but eventually it showed up having four wings and four heads. And lastly, the last beast doesn't have really a name, so I, don't, I cannot give you a good name. I just call this the terrifying beast. Uh, that's what commentators describe this, just a terrifying beast. After this, I saw in, night, in the night visions, behold, a fourth beast, terrifying and dreadful and exceedingly strong. So it looks like a military kind of beast, army. It had great iron teeth, so iron gives you an idea of, a, of a weapons. It devoured and broke in pieces and stamped what was left with, it, with, with its feet. It was different from all bees that were, that were before it. It had ten horns. Okay. This is, I, I was trying to look, find a good picture for this. I was planning to draw, but no time to draw this. So I just found a picture. So mm, I don't know if this is exactly what it looks like, but close. The dragon, I don't think it looks like the dragon in Shrek. Um, but, but the others, I think they're good. You got the leopard with four heads, lion with wings, bear, having yeah, bones there. Okay, who are these beasts or what are these beasts? Daniel, in the same chapter, tells us what are these beasts. These are four great beasts of our four kings who will rise out of the earth. These are kings. And, of course, being kings, they represent an empire. 
But when the word kings here is not really talking about a single king, but a group of kings or leaders for each of those beasts. So, so let me just give you the answer because we know this is past history, by the way. This is past history. That's why we know the answer. So the lion is Babylon. And the king is Nebuchadnezzar and all the Babylonian kings after him. Okay? And the next, you have the bear, which is Persia or Medes and Persia. And I just put Persia there. And of course, you got Cyrus, Darius, uh, per, all the Persian kings. Uh, then the leopard is the Greek Empire. So let me just kick, take, and take note here. So the Greek Empire, you got Alexander the Great. But eventually after Alexander died, it was the, the kingdom was divided to his four uh, generals. Let me just, I don't know, let me say if I'm able to say the names properly. Antipater, you got uh, Lysimachus, Seleucus, and Ptolemy. Those are the four generals of, 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 of uh, Alexander that took over the, the Greek Empire. What's amazing, you know, this prophecy is evidence of the supernatural origins of the Bible. Amen? Because these events happened, will happen 300 years in the future after when Daniel wrote this. This was written around 600 B.C. And Daniel was already writing about the breaking up of the Greek Empire, which is about going to happen 300 years in the future. Isn't that amazing? Some of you, you ignore the Bible on this front, but this is evidence of, the, of God's hand writing the Bible because who can know about something 300 in the years in the future? And, and that four-headed leopard simply talks about the breaking up of the Greek Empire into four smaller empires, right? And under the four generals of, of, uh, of Alexander the Great. And the last beast, of course, is Rome. You know that. Obvious, iron teeth. If you know the other statue in, in the early part of Daniel, iron represents Rome. And the leaders of Rome, of course, you got Julius Caesar and all the Roman Roman Caesars after him. But of course, the, the Caesars were succeeded by the Metropolitans. If we've known your church history, the Metropolitans were the church, were the, were the fathers of Rome, the fathers of Rome. They succeeded, uh, they succeeded uh, the Caesars of the Roman Empire. Now, going back to Revelation 13, you get some idea now what this beast is in Revelation 13, okay? You get more ideas now, knowing what, what, what those bees in Daniel. We don't have time to really look in detail into that, or else we're going to be here for four hours. Verse 13, verse 1, And I saw a beast rising out of water with ten horns and seven heads, with ten diadems, diadems are crowns, on its, on its horns, and blasphemous names on its, on its heads. Blasphemous names on its heads. So, so this is... This beast came out of the water, and it was actually the dragon who, who brought this up. If you read verse chapter 12, the last chapter there, the dragon was actually sitting, standing on the sand, on the seashore, on the sand, and he probably did something like this. Okay, beast on the sea, rise up. <laughs> then, he, then he did something like this. Beast on the land, rise up. But right in the middle of that two beasts, the seashore, was Satan himself. You know, bringing to life these two beasts. Uh, one on the sea and one on the land. 
And, and so I was, I was also looking for a picture of that. I'm sorry the thunder was taken earlier, but it's good, no problem. <laughs> so, uh, someone drew this. I got this from Good Salt as well, and they, I, I, I like their drawings, uh, but it's not exactly what I imagined, but, but close, close. And you, you notice that there's the leopard body, paw of the bear, you know, and you got the mouth of a lion, and the other heads are hidden behind that, and you got the many horns there uh, around, up, up the head. And so, first thing John noticed when he wrote this portion of Revelation, the first thing he noticed when he saw this vision, you know, God, God placed him there to witness what was going on, right? John was a witness. He was seeing these visions before him, and there was Satan on the seashore, you know, giving rise to those two beasts. And John was somewhere else looking at this whole thing. Out of that entire thing, the first thing he noticed was the horns. And the ten horns, seven heads, crowns on each thorn. That was the first thing John noticed. And I think that's very important. Why? There's a reason why that does the very first thing he noticed. Because... We know what the horns and the crowns mean. They mean authority, power, leadership. So, therefore, this beast represents a person of authority and power and leadership. A ruler, that's what the crown represents, ruler. In fact, a ruler of nations, just like the rulers of the past, just like Nebuchadnezzar or Cyrus or Alexander. It represents a ruler with great authority. And this ruler that this beast represents, that entire beast there, is what the Bible calls the Antichrist. It represents a person and an empire. A person and an empire. He is, he is a powerful political leader who will rise up during the end times, during the time of the tribulation. And it says in this passage in verse 1, there's blasphemous names on his head. And the word blasphemy means slander, defamation, insults against God. Meaning, this creature, this Antichrist, hates God. Hates God. There is this rage against God. Remember I told you last week, Satan himself has a rage against God. He's, he's, he hates God. Hates God. There's, Satan is, has a rage against God. So this creature is not Satan himself. It is the Antichrist, a person, a human being. You know, we, we as Christians, when we go through difficult times, you know, there are times in our Christian walk when we go through a trial or sometimes even when you pray and your prayer is not answered, what does come to your heart? What, what usually comes to your heart? When, when you get disappointed uh, in a situation where God didn't respond to your prayer, you question God's goodness, right? You tell yourself, I, I will not pray anymore because God is not answering my prayer. Maybe God is not good. God is not loving. God is not kind. You know, don't go down that path. Don't go down that path because the very person who wants you to think like that is Satan himself. He slanders God. He insults God. He defames God. He gives you false ideas about who God is. And Satan wants to think you think wants you to think like that. And sometimes to the point where in your walk with God, maybe you, you begin to doubt not only his goodness, 
But sometimes some, people, some Christians might begin to doubt his existence. They will say, oh God, you're not a real, you're not real. Uh, maybe, maybe religion or Christianity is just an invention of man's imagination. And these thoughts, by the way, are inspired by Satan. They're inspired by Satan. And the reason why you have these kinds of thoughts and why, does, why he inspires you with these kinds of doubts, because his purpose is to destroy your life. That is the reason. When you begin to doubt God, doubt his love, doubt his goodness, doubt his answer to your prayers, actually what's going on there is Satan wants to destroy you. He wants to destroy your life, your soul. You know, for believers, of course, your life is going to be destroyed forever. Soul destroyed forever if you are not going to turn to Christ and surrender your life to him, if you're going to believe the lies of Satan. If you are not a believer in Christ. But if you are a believer in Christ, your life is secured in Christ already, right? We as a church, we believe in the, in the security of your salvation, eternal security. Once God has saved you, made you his son and daughter, you'll be saved for all eternity. Even, even, even if you, you know, still struggle with sin in this life, God still loves you and you're still a child of God. But what Satan wants, wants of you is that he wants you to be, become ineffective in your Christian life. You will not be fruitful. You will not be able to accomplish things for God. You're just going to be watching TV all day for the rest of your life. And wasting your time there. Right? Uh, not to put you guilty in watching four hours binging every day. But, but you become ineffective. You become, you know, you're not, you're not useful for God's kingdom. That's what Satan wants for you as a believer. Let's move on. Verse 2, it says here, And the beast that I saw was like a leopard. Its feet were like, be- like a bear. Its mouth was like the a lion's mouth. And-, and to it, the dragon gave his power and his throne, his throne and great authority. So the dragon gave him power. Satan was behind this beast. And basically, you know, you probably heard of the unholy trinity. This is the second person of the whole unholy trinity. Satan is the first person of his trinity. The beast is the second person of his trinity. This is like his son. This must be a strange looking monster when John saw this. Because it's a mixture of different animals. So, but what you're seeing right now is the climax of Satan's career. This is the climax of Satan's career. This is his masterpiece. This is what he wants the world to come to eventually. Where he has his own human leader impersonating Jesus Christ in this world. Okay, let's look at each of this. Number one, it has a mouth of a lion. In Daniel chapter 7, what was the lion? You forgot already? I'm sorry, my sermon is so long. You already forget what I said. <laughs> Babylon. Yes, Babylon. <laughs> the mouth, mouth of a lion. So what, 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 you know, I like what Chuck Swindle said about this creature, but at this point, we might just begin to speculate a little because it's, it's, uh, it's very hard to be exact on what this means. But if you go back to Daniel chapter 7, it's clear that the mouth of a lion goes back to Babylon, right? Goes back to Babylon. So what what did ha- what happened to Babylon? What what do we know about Babylon? Remember when the languages were confused? That was the first Babylon, but it was not the empire yet. That was 
in basically Babylon was the very first empire after the breaking up of the languages in the during the you know Tower of Babel. That's why we got the word Babylon, that word Babel, languages, breaking up of different languages. And so one of the things we know we might might happen in the future, according to just just some thoughts from Sindel. He says that that during the tribulation there'll be a one world language maybe or a way for the world to communicate with one another very easily during the time just like what happened in, in Babel before the breakup and also it could also mean that the religion that's going to happen in the this this mouth is going to promote a false religion that is similar to Babylon's religion and it's going to happen towards the end times so so possible a means of common communication for everyone around the world during the time and also a false religion that came from Babylon. Did you know that pretty much every false religion in this world comes, has its roots from Babylon? Did you know that? Yeah. Uh, even, even if you look at all the gods of Egypt, the, the, God, idols, the idols of Egypt, the idols of, uh, of Rome, and the idols of the Greeks, if you go back to the Babylonian idols, you can see where it came from. There's, there's some connection there. You know, this idea of one, of one of the Babylonian idols is a woman carrying a child. You know, you've seen this many times, right? There's a woman carrying the child. The Babylonians worship this. That child is Nimrod and the mother was Semiramis, right? She, Nimrod was the guy who was, who was the, one of the first leaders of Babylon. And that image of a woman carrying a baby is taken by the Egyptians and they worship that as well. And, and in, to them, that's, the woman is Isis and the child is Horus. And what you notice, this idea of a woman sitting and carrying a baby, you see this in every, every false religion in the world. Almost, almost, not every, maybe almost, I would say. I will not be accurate in saying every, but almost. In the past history and even religions today. Past and today. So, so to get you an idea, so that is a Babylonian influence. So next thing, you got the bear, uh, the hands, of the paw of a bear. Remember the Persians? They were merciless. They would conquer without mercy. They would destroy their opponents. And this empire in the future during the tribulation will destroy, the Antichrist will destroy anyone who's going to oppose him. Destroy anyone who's going to oppose him. Especially particularly you Christians, because we're the ones who's going to oppose him. And anyone who opposes the Antichrist will, will, will be destroyed, just like the way the Persians destroyed their enemies. The, the third creature here is the leopard's body. The leopard body goes back to the Greek empire, right? In, in Daniel chapter 7. What was the correct nature of the Greeks? Greeks exercised influence. They were very good in influencing people. In fact, the world, the known world back then, they spoke Greek, right? Uh, and I don't know, you know, it's all Greek to me, but they, they spoke Greek, the Greek language because of the influence of the Greek empire. They were also very influential culturally, politically. You know, think about the world today. Our architecture, our culture, our, um, our religions... The idols people worship, there is some Greek influence. Even the Romans didn't invent their religion. It is a copycat of the Greek religion. Right? 
the Romans didn't invent Jupiter out of the blue. It's just their version of Zeus. So the Greeks were very in, had, had very uh, great influence on the culture of their day. This Antichrist in the future is going to have a great influence upon the world. In fact, the world during that time will be unified under him. Will be unified under him in a short period of time. All the nations of the world will be, will be united. And, and his influence will be great. He will influence every aspect of society, government, religions, art, media, entertainment. That's how powerful this person is. It's just one person. But he is under the power and control of Satan. So he's able to influence the world in this way. You can see that happening today now. You don't have to, I don't have to tell you what's going on in the world today. But you have some idea on how whatever we have today is going to lead to this kind of future. And one person controlling everything. Every nation, every government, everything. And everyone is united. But only one group of people that's going to not be part of that kumbaya, okay? Only one group of people is going to be part of that big unity. And it is the church, the Christians. That's why people are going to hate Christians because we are intolerant. We don't tolerate things, right? Christians, we are very intolerant because we don't agree with anything that disagrees with the word of God. Yeah. We hold on to the word of God as the truth. Our truth is not relative. It is absolute and these people probably, because they want to be united, so they're going to say, oh, all religions are okay. Everything we're going to do is okay. Even if it offends me, oh, I'm going to accept you. They're going to be accepting of one another in spite of their sins. Lastly, the ten horns. This brings us back to that last creature which has ten horns in Daniel chapter 7. It brings us back also to Satan himself who had seven heads. And this creature has seven heads as well, so similar to Satan. Now, this is a bit complicated. Well, one thing we can say is that when the Roman during the, after the fall of the Roman Empire, the Roman Empire got fragmented, divided into ten kingdoms. What we can say, this future leader will also be leading ten either group of nations or areas or ten nations. We don't know exactly, but it is, he's going to be leading ten other leaders because that ten horns and ten crowns represents, represents authority, ruler. So whoever this Antichrist is, is going to be leading 10 other leaders who, have, who, will, who will rule certain areas of the world. Because this is the world united. That's why I don't think this is the European Union. Some people think this might be the European Union. It's probably greater than that. Because this is uniting the entire world, not just Europe. The entire world. And including Asia, Africa, Middle East, North, South America, Oceania, which is, includes Australia and New Zealand, and as well as Europe. So this leader will oversee the entire world, and the world will be divided into ten regions under each of his, his minions, his ten minions, ten, ten, ten leaders, ten rulers. You know, John MacArthur had a different idea here. I'll just mention his thoughts as well on this. Um, so the, the seven heads, he says... Oh, the ten horns, yes, that's right. He, I think he's also with that. But I was trying to find an explanation for the ten heads. And initially, I, I just had a thought, maybe it's, it's the different regions, uh, maybe continents. But MacArthur had a different point also, and it's interesting. He says that the ten heads, as the seven heads, like the seven heads of the dragon, it represents Satan's, Satan's past, Satan's 
what do you call this? Resume. Resume. Remember those hunters when you have hunters and you have a trophy head of, a, of the, the Marvin has one at home, like a head of an elk, you know. These heads are like the trophies of Satan as well. And, and what MacArthur says is that each of the heads represent an empire that Satan ruled in the past. Uh, Egypt, Assyria, Babylon, Persia, Greece, Rome, then this final empire, the seventh one, which is this last empire that's going to happen during the, uh, before the return of Christ, during the tribulation. Okay, so just to give you that, that thought, it's, it could also mean that way. Okay, let me go to the last statement here. Then we're going to have an application. The last two verses, then, then we'll go to, to the application. One of its heads seemed to have a, fate, a mortal wound, but its mortal wound was healed, and the whole earth marveled as they followed the beast. And they worshipped the dragon, for he had given his authority to the beast, and they worshipped the beast, saying, Who is like the beast? Who can fight against it? That last statement there is a worship that's supposed to go to God. Remember in the, in the, in the Old Testament, in Psalm 155, we, we, you know, there's a worship there that says, Who is like the Lord our God? And now they are using that for the beast. So what we find out here is that, that this beast had a fatal wound. What it says is that this beast sort of died but was resurrected. He is imitating the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And people are going to see this. It's probably on the internet and everyone. It's going, to be, it's going to be viral on YouTube. It's going to be viral on Twitter and everything. And people of the world is going to see that this beast died. This, this person who is now leader of the world and died and he rose back to life. And the world, we're going to see this, whoa. This, this is some kind of a, a God. And what this scripture tells us that the people of the world is going to worship this person. He's going to worship not only, they're, they're, not, they're not only going to worship the beast, but they're going to worship the dragon himself, Satan. And, and they will sing this song to the beast, who is like the beast, who can fight against it. And the world is going to be deceived. But of course, Christians are not going to be part of this because, you know, we, we have, we, many of the Christians during the time will already be martyred. Or, you know, beheaded, or however they're going to persecute. So let me just end in this applications. I, I talked about this last week, so let me just go to this in, in closing. The dragon has no claim over your life. We talked about this last week. That's why we do not fear him. He's no, we're not under his control. And all his claims, all the things that he says, is just hot air. It's all lies. That's why we don't want... We don't fear Satan. We don't listen to him as well. The only way he's going to have an influence on your life if you begin to listen to him. Because that's all he can do. Just lie, 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 lie. But he has no claim over your life. He has no claim over your life. Whatever lie he's going to tell you, it's not true. There's no claim over you. He cannot hold your life. Just have to reject his lie. I'm talking about believers, but if you are not a believer in Christ, you have not. If Jesus is not your Lord, then you need to surrender your life to Christ. Because if you are, if you don't belong to Christ, there's only one option, other option for you. You belong to Satan. Because there's only two kingdoms. God, the Bible clearly, clearly tells us there's only two kingdoms: the kingdom of light and the kingdom of darkness. If you don't belong to the kingdom of light, the kingdom of Jesus Christ, then you don't. 
then you belong to the kingdom of darkness. That's the second option. And there's no third option. There's no kingdom of me. There's nothing else. It's just the kingdom of light and the kingdom of darkness and nothing else. So if you don't belong to Jesus, then you belong to, to, to the enemy. Uh, it's just plain and simple logic. Second, the dragon was already condemned. His time is short. Satan is under stress. Remember, I told you last week, Satan is not the king of hell. I know some people, drawings, they say Satan is like they're happy in hell. No, he's one of those who's going to burn, who's going to suffer, who's going to be in pain, who's going who's to be tormented for all eternity. He's just one of many who's going to be tormented. And his time is running out. That's why he's a lot of stress. He's under a lot of stress. That's why he's trying to bring people, uh, you know, cause people to be against Jesus, against God, because that's the only thing he can do. He can ju- the only thing Satan is trying to do, actually, is to hurt God. That's really... Who sends people to hell? It's not Satan, it's God. But it's not because God is sending people to hell, it's that because people are rejecting Jesus Christ. That's really the reason why people are going to hell. It's not because God is forcing people to go to hell or I'm going to send people to hell. No. It's because people are rejecting Jesus. God is offering salvation already to humanity. We are by default on that big road towards eternal death. Every human being is in that big road, wide road that leads to death. And God is giving us a way out. And if you're going to reject his way out, then there's no hope for you. There is no hope for you. That's why Jesus is the only way, the truth, and the life. One way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through him. Satan, what he does is he deceives his people into rejecting that way out that God gave to humanity. That's why yeah, he's under stress. Third one, dragon thrives on your sin. Rise up quickly. Don't give him a foothold. You know, Christians, we have the tendency when we fall into sin, when we fail, we stay down too long. Like I told you last week, we were like Eeyores. We just want to be, I'm so bad, I'm... I cannot anymore do this. I'm, God does not love me anymore. And we just love to, to wallow in our sin. Like, Lord, um, I will not go to church anymore. I will not go to the Bible style or read the Bible. I will not pray. You know, if you stay in that mode too long, Satan is going to destroy you. He's going to keep you from being effective. And he's going to keep feed more lies and lies and lies. And you go deeper and deeper and deeper. And you notice that you begin to be in this kind of mode, you, com- you, you commit more sins. You fall into one sin and one sin, wrong decision, wrong decision. <laughs> and you keep on falling, falling farther away. The Bible reminds us that we need to rise up quickly. Rise up quickly, run the race with perseverance, mark out for us. Any, any sin that entangles, any weight, throw it away. What the passage tells us is that as Christians we're like runners and running and at one point we just bang we fell what what will you do as a runner will you just say okay I fell I'm just gonna stay here no you're gonna you're gonna rise up again I'm gonna run again you fell again I'm gonna rise up again and run again that is really the image of the Christian life it's not the kind of life where you just you just wallow in your sin for a long time he wants us to run if we fall rise run again fall rise Fall, rise, fall, rise. Do not let, you know, remember the passage? Do not let the sun go down in your anger. 
it applies to your own struggles. Don't stay in that mode too long. Don't let the sun set in your struggle with sin. Deal with it, repent from it, and rise up again. Quickly. <laughs> Quickly. Because if you stay too long, you'll give Satan a foothold. He's going to take advantage of you more and more and more and more. Fourth, overcome the dragon's deception. Think of what pleases God. You know, the enemy is all doing, he'll do everything to deceive you. Watch TV, if you want, read the internet, there's a lot of lies in there. Sadly, our kids cannot know what's truth and lie in the internet. That's why parents, you need to help them because they think they know, but they do not. Not to insult your kids. You know, sometimes <laughs> there's this, I want to mention this joke. Rella, usually when we talk to our nephews, on the, not our nephews here, but our nephews on the other, on Rella's side, sometimes uh, we would, I would, the youngest son would ask, Auntie Rella, um, why should I obey my parents? He said, because, because your mama cares for you, loves you. And, and, and there are things you don't fully understand and your mama understands. Why? Because your, 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 your mind, your, your brain is not fully developed yet. <laughs> then he stops talking anymore. Oh, oh yeah, okay. <laughs> that stops the conversation. Because <laughs> your brain is not fully developed yet. Uh, I hope the kids get that. <laughs> you need your parents. You need your parents. That's why they are there for you. Because they have experiences that they've gained wisdom. They've gained wisdom. That's why kids, listen. Listen to your parents. You might think that they're not that smart, but they are. I thought about that a long time ago. <laughs> I thought my mom and dad didn't know, but they knew. <laughs> they knew what I was doing. <laughs> they, 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 were not say, they were not just saying it. <laughs> you know, wow, my mom knew about that. Oh. Do what pleases the Lord. Think what pleases the Lord. That's how you're going to overcome his deception. I'm just going to go through this verse quickly. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. This is what the Bible reminds us of. This is what Paul reminds us of. That we need to think about these things. Because if you're going to stop thinking about what is good, what is noble, commendable, excellent, praiseworthy, then deception can take over your mind. You know, there's, there's truth about that statement. You know, idle mind is the playground of the devil. There's, there's truth about that. If you're not thinking about these things all the time, then something else is going to come to your thoughts that's not good. Lastly, overcome the dragon's lies, know the truth. That is why we read the Bible every day. That is why we come to church every Sunday to listen to this sermon. That is why we go to our youth Bible study, young adult or men's, women. We do all these things almost every day because we want to keep our mind filled with the truth of God. Because what Jesus said, you know, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. And this is exactly going against what we've been reading because... This is how you're going to counteract the lies of Satan. Right? This is going to go against the things that Satan is doing in this world. Set free from what? From the lies of the enemy. That's what Jesus is saying here. Because the world is deceived. Let us all rise up as we close our time in prayer.
Father God in heaven, we thank you, Lord, for your word, O oh God. Lord, thank you for Revelation chapter 13, Lord. Thank you for all the scripture we read today, Lord, for your word is the bread of life. Lord, I ask you, Lord God, to work in our hearts through these words, O oh God, because your word is life. Your word is a sharp, sharper than a double-edged sword, O oh God. Lord, whenever, Lord, you said in your word also that, that what we do, Lord God, will not be in vain, O oh God. And when you send your word, it will not be in vain. It will accomplish the purpose you set it out to accomplish, Lord. And so, Lord, this afternoon, Lord, I pray that you speak to every heart, Lord. That, the, that for the believers here, Lord, they will hold on to these truths. They will hold on to these things that, that, that we just talked about today, Lord. That, Lord, we will hold on to your truth. That we will not be deceived by the lies of the enemy, Lord. That we will think of what is noble, pleasing, honorable in your sight, O oh God. Lord, that, that we will not be, will not do, this will not give Satan the opportunity, Lord God, to fill our minds with, with unholy things. Oh, Lord. I pray also, Lord, that you strengthen each one. I know some here are still struggling, Lord. Maybe they're on the fence, oh God, whether they're going to give their life fully to God or, or maybe they're going to hold off. Lord, I pray that you give them the courage, oh God, to say, Jesus, I will follow you for the rest of my life. Jesus, you are my Lord, and I surrender my life to you. I pray that you will say this. I pray that you will be courageous in, in speaking to Christ. The Bible tells us that we are to confess. And so it's not something you just keep inside of you. You just have to say it. Be confident before the Lord. Be courageous before the Lord. And this is not something between me and you or river life in you. This is between you and God, the creator of this, of this, of this world, the creator of heaven and earth. And the Bible says he had given, he gave his only son because of his love. And, and, and scripture again tells us that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. But also scripture says that if you don't believe in his one and only son, you are condemned already. That's what they're saying. It says condemned already. Because it's a done deal if you don't believe in Jesus. But if you believe and surrender your life to Christ as your Lord, as your King, you will have, you shall have eternal life. I pray that all of you have, have, have eternal life. Because eternal life is a relationship, a love relationship with God. Not just in this life, but for all eternity. Lord, grant us also the courage, O oh God, to face each day without fear, O oh God. Lord, the enemy wants to induce fear in our hearts, even fear of this small virus, fear of the unknown, fear of what's going to happen in the future. Lord, I pray that we will not let fear, any kind of fear that the enemy brings, 
overpower us, overcome us, Lord. Grant us faith, O oh God, to trust you, Lord, that you will protect us, that you will be with us, Lord, as you promise. Lord, that, that, that as we follow you, Lord God, Lord, you will order our steps, O oh God. That you guide our hearts like a river in your hands, O oh God. And lead us to which way we should go. Now, Lord, for those who are serving you, Lord, that you will give us the confidence knowing that you will give us the words to say, the strength to do your will. Lord, the capacity and the strength by your spirit to overcome any kind of weakness and struggle, Lord. And Lord, I praise you that even when we fail, oh God, we fall, Lord God. Lord, through the blood of Christ, oh God, we can quickly rise up, oh God. Because the payment of sin has been paid for already. The price of sin has been fully, fully paid for on the cross of Calvary. And there's really no reason at all, zero, no reason at all for you to stay down in your Christian life. There's really no reason. The only reason maybe for many of us is without God's love, without God's goodness, without what Jesus has done on the cross on your behalf. But let's remove all those down. Lord, I pray that you set us free, Lord, from any lie of the enemy, Lord. Any lie that we have accepted throughout the years, oh God. Lord, any ideas that doesn't come from you and your word, Lord, deliver us, oh God, in the name of Jesus. Any thoughts about religion that is wrong, any thoughts about myself that is wrong, that is not according to the will of God, deliver us, Lord. If anyone here has any agreements with the enemy, if anyone here has been involved in witchcraft or any kind of, of works of darkness, Lord, I pray that they will renounce that and deliver them from any works of darkness in Jesus' name. Any involvement, involvement with any kind of witchcraft or sorcery, deliver them in Jesus' name. And any work of the enemy upon our families, Lord, deliver us, Lord God, as well. Deliver us from any work of his demons and any, Lord, any, any worker of Satan. Deliver our church from evil. Deliver every family here from evil. And deliver every individual here from evil. All glory be to you, Lord Jesus. May my brothers and sisters, this church, River Life, and those who are listening online, truly glorify you, Lord, in the way they live their life each moment, Lord. Each moment, each second. Now, we will not live the kind of Christian life where, where we only spend time with you on Sundays. But we spend time with you every moment, each day. We are devoted to you, committed to you, oh Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for your holy presence, Lord. Fill us with your Holy Spirit. Fill us, Lord, with your Holy Spirit, Lord, that as we depart, leave this place and go to our respective families, lives, and work, schools, oh God, we'll be empowered by you to do your will, to reach the nations for Christ, reach different culture, ethnicities, nationalities for the Lord Jesus Christ. This is what our heart desires. And this is your command for us. Well, Father God, thank you. And may I, and Lord, may your grace, your mercy, your power be upon us, Lord. 
and your peace, Lord God, flood our souls. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, amen. Amen.